Thanks for tuning into House Things, a podcast from the David A. Howe Public Library. I'm Nick Gunning. My guest today was a regular contributor on the All the Book Show. She's a professional editor and is the co-host of the podcast previously on X-Men for the Radio Meanwhile Network. Hillary, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I say us, but it's just me. Yeah. Well, it's me and you. Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it does make sense. Thanks. Uh, today, I've asked Hillary to join me here because we're going to be talking about the new Marvel Disney Plus series, WandaVision. Are you excited? I am excited. Was this a series you were anticipating? Was it one you were excited about? Yeah, well, I kind of went back and forth on it. I think by the time it came out, I was pretty excited about it. Okay. I've been I've been back and forth on my feelings about Wanda and the Avengers. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and if you're if, if you're new to the game, Wanda in comics is more widely known as the Scarlet Witch. The Scarlet Witch. Popping back and forth between X-Men and Avengers, though I always associate her with the X-Men in my mind. I always associate... I do, too. I associate her with the X-Men. She is hardly with them at all. Huh. She's almost exclusively with the Avengers. Okay. Well, I'll agree to disagree. All right, but <laughs> save this magic for segment time because we're not there yet. Uh, let's let's open the books. See where we are in our bookmarks. What have you been reading? What have I been reading? It's not a trick question. Just a regular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably the biggest thing I've been reading is the. Uh, V.E. Schwab series, The uh, Shades of Magic. Yes. I'm on book three now. Okay. So I'm kind of plowing through those. I remember when that first came out, and I was confused about whether or not it was meant to be adult or young adult. Where would you put it? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question, because the first book, I would lean toward adult. Okay. It's it's very... I found it to be unique. I don't read a lot of magic, urban fiction kinds of stuff, Mm -hmm. but uh, this... It, which is funny because this isn't, I don't think this is strictly urban fiction, but for some okay. reason it has that feel to it. But anyway, that one felt more original and trying to do something different with magic and stuff. Okay. The second book I felt was very YA huh. feeling. Like it just had those tropes, you yeah. know, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just say they have a big uh, competition that <laughs> magicians from everywhere have to participate in. So, is like, there a love triangle? There's not a love triangle. Huh. Okay, There's well then it can't, it can't be another, YA. It that can't. is another thing because in the first book, I don't I don't want to spoil too much, but okay. in the first book there there was a friendship. Okay. And in the second book, there's romance. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone romance. I see. So that felt a little like they were, I don't, I don't know if someone was like, make it more YA. And so they just dove right in. I can't remember why, but I remember when we first got these books and I, I recall moving them from YA to adult. It's like, I think we purchased them thinking they were YA, and mm-hmm. then as they were circulating, we were kind of like, well, maybe these are adult books, and that's where they sit now. But it's been a popular series all the way through. How yeah. did you find this series, even? I think it was just a book that I saw in a store. Yeah, they got go a great, they've got really good covers. Yeah. Ha- it's really good covers, and I read the first page or something like that and there was something about the guy having a coat that he kept like changing it and it was like a bunch of coats in one i don't know i just liked it so yeah that's i don't typically read that kind of thing either i did read one several years ago now called the night circus i want to say by aaron mortensen and that was sort of uh i don't know there was like rival magician like I don't know what groupings, you know, and there okay. was a whole, there was conflict between them. And then the younger generation was trying to sort of do away with that. I was weirdly all in on that book. And it's very outside of the things I would normally pick up. Did I say urban fiction or urban fantasy? I think you said fiction. I meant fantasy. Fantasy. I meant okay. urban fantasy. Well, those are decidedly different things. <laughs> okay. So is, is book three the final? Do you know? Is it a trilogy? You know, I don't know. Okay. I guess I assume so. Would you be down for a book four? I don't know. Winding I mean, down. the first one I really loved. Okay. And I really liked the world that they were building. Yeah. So I want to say that I would definitely go for it, but the second one really dragged me down. Okay. So I don't know. Huh. But you powered on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else? Any other comic books or any anything like that? Uh, well, I started I started the Kamala Harris memoir that I got for Christmas. Oh yeah. Um, I read, what's that vision one I read? Oh, Tom King's vision, but let's save that. Let's save that for okay. spotlight time. I think that's it for okay. reading lately. All right. 
I finished a few things since last episode. Uh, I read On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. Her book, The Hate You Give, is probably still on the YA bestseller list. I mean, that's just been a phenomenon for years. Mm -hmm. This is her follow-up on the come-up, and it follows... It's not a sequel. It's a whole different set of characters. And this follows a girl who's trying to, like, make it in the rap scene. And it's just really interesting because it deals a lot with the pressure that she's receiving from all ends. You know, like, some... Some people are accusing her of being a poser. Some people are accusing her of, like, reinforcing dangerous stereotypes. And she's just kind of, like, stuck somewhere in the middle just trying to make it. So I think it speaks to a lot of what that pressure is like. So, I mean, that was that was an intriguing part of it for me. Mm -hmm. uh, Malika Costa, who has, has been on the All the Book Show several times, is going to join me for a book club on this in an upcoming episode. So Fun. I shall say no more now, but Malika and I are going to discuss it in the coming weeks. Nice. Uh, I finished Leia, Princess of Alderaan. This is a manga uh, based on the novel by Claudia Gray. This was adapted by Haruchi, and another YA Claudia Gray Star Wars series um, was Lost Stars that was adapted into a, pretty successfully adapted into a three-part manga series. I think you read that. Yes, I did. Did you like that? You liked it, I didn't like it. Well, I mean, I don't read manga, so I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that was the main thing. It felt It felt like it was replaying a lot of manga just stuff. like derivative of other things yeah. and okay well i liked all three volumes and i was ready for a volume four and mm -hmm. i was sad when it was done this is also it's a pretty successful adaptation now, i hadn't read the novel lost stars but i have read leia princess of alderaan and what i appreciate about the book is that it does a nice job of weaving together all the different star wars eras mm -hmm. so like it's set when leia's a teenager so it pulls some things from like rebels or the prequel era you see her kind of finding her way, figuring out that her parents are part of the rebellion. Like this is something she sort of stumbles on. And then her struggling to kind of find her way and what it means to be a part of that. It also uses uh, Laura Dern's character from Star Wars The Last Jedi. Mm. Holdo is in it. The only it, good character from that yes. movie. <laughs> and it kind of, because in the movie they have this deep connection and you're like, well, where did this person come from? And so this makes her like a childhood friend from Alderaan, which I thought was a really nice touch yeah. for that movie. So I read that, thought it was really good. I assume it's going to be another three-parter. The, only the first volume's out right now, which we have in our collection. So if you haven't read it, check it out. I could check it out for you. I know a guy if you want to. You know if you'd like, If you'd like to read it. Yeah, I could do that. I'm currently reading Lie to Me by J.T. Ellison. Uh, Chris Bailey, who is the president of the Friends of the Library, is a huge fan of this author. And I've actually never read her. Uh, I snatched some some uh, J.T. Ellison books for Chris at uh, the last library conference tour I was at. And I had some advanced copies here. So I'm reading this one. This is a little older. Uh, it's a thriller so far. It's one of the, it's sort of a, a dueling narrator's mm -hmm. setup so far. And I'm liking it. Cool. So we'll see. Is I'm lie to me what Batman says in... Swear to me. Swear to me. Yeah. The guy's like, I swear to God. And he's like, swear to me. Yeah. That horrible Batman voice. Why would you bring that up? I'm sorry. I'm reading The Dark Veil by James Swallow. This is for a book club I do with some friends. It's a Star Trek Titan book. And this is interesting. Probably not interesting to most people, but I'm going to tell you because... I'm interested. You don't have anywhere you can go. Um, this is a Star Trek Titan book, and this follows the character of Will Riker and Deanna Troy yes. on the Titan after the series. There's been a whole batch of novels based on this that have all sort of been undone by the Picard series. <laughs> Not unlike all of the Star Wars Expanded Universe being undone by the J.J. Abrams trilogy. But what they did was they used one of the authors who wrote the Titan series to write this new one to set it in the new Picard continuity. So technically it's a Picard book. But since it's using that writer, he's taken a lot of the hallmarks from that series and even original characters and sort of ported them over. Oh, that's so it's nice. a much more like seamless transition th than it was to go from reading Star Wars Expanded Universe mm -hmm. to like the Disney canon. Yeah. So I guess I always thought that Star Trek was a little more... I don't know, like the, the books were more official for a while than they were in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I the thing the thing that I think that was different about it was that the Star Wars universe was very, very interconnected, mm -hmm. always. It didn't matter who was writing it. Like most of the time, something that happened in another book would matter in a book by an, a new author. Okay. So they were all really connected and there was a reading order. For years and years and years, the Star Trek books were sort of just set within the series and could be read, you know, at any given time. And so they were a lot easier to just pick up and read. Okay. Once it sort of seemed like the dust had settled post-Nemesis and they weren't going to do anything else, they were kind of like, yeah, go ahead and continue the story. Mm -hmm. So all the series have been continued from that point on. Now they've sort of been rendered moot hmm. by Picard. But, okay. you know, 
We'll see. I appreciate that he was taking some of the things from the regular Titan series and sort of establishing them in the new yeah, canon. Yeah, that I is think nice. That's cool. That is nice. So I'm reading that at the moment, and that's pretty much it for me. Cool. Well, you win. You had more books than me. Well, thank you. It's my job. And you do it well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's take a look at some book news. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. Hillary, you're our guest. Would you do the honors? What is on the New York Times bestseller list for this week? I will tell you, and I will start with number 10, because that's what you pointed at. That's the countdown, yeah. All right. Uh, number 10, we have A Time for Mercy by John Grisham. That's a familiar name. Hmm. Yes. This is this is the third of the Jake Brigant series. Uh, his very first novel ever, A Time to Kill. And then Sycamore Row came out a few few years ago, so decades after the original. And then this is the third book. So okay. I think if you read them as a trilogy, you would not know that decades were in between. It's pretty impressive. I think it's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, okay, so number nine, another familiar name, Nicholas Sparks with The Return. Okay. Uh, less familiar name to me, number eight, Frederick Bachman, Anxious People. Yes, this is, he's kind of a sleeper author. This was one that, like, just sort of appeared out of nowhere. The books are all very stylized, like you would not mistake a Frederick Bachman book for another author. Um, I tried to read one and just could not get into it, but he's he's persistent but I like and it. remains popular. I like stylized. You might dig it a little bit more than I. Yeah. yeah. I actually think you would. All right. Cool. A failed bank robber holds a group of strangers hostage at an apartment open house, in case you're curious. Well, I'm just telling the nice people. Okay. Hey, look, look what's next here. So should I do that? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, number seven, V.E. Schwab, the guy who wrote the books that I sort yes. of like. Uh, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, a Faustian bargain comes... With a curse, well, I mean, that's how it goes, that affects yeah. the adventure Addie LaRue has across centuries. And again, I, I can't stress this enough to listeners. If somebody comes to you with a Faustian bargain, Faustian, walk away, my friend. Yeah, if they're like, hey, excuse walk me, sir, away. I have a Faustian bargain for you. They're laying their cards on the table. Yeah, yeah. You know what you're getting. It's Ruin. not going to be good. Ruin. Number six, Delia Owens, Where the Crawdads Sing. Wow. Surprise! Wowzer. She's still on here. 124 weeks on the list. I can't remember if I liked this. 124 weeks. I honestly, did you read it? I did read it. Okay. I think I liked it. I've talked about it so much. I'm this, not even going to. It has like, it's like past and future thing. And I think it was one of those ones where I liked one. Yes. But not the other. I've said many, many a times that I feel like the mystery and the future element of it, I would have snipped that right out. Yeah. I, I think don't that's... think it adds to it at all. Yeah. I think I'm with you there. Okay, number five, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Uh, Nora Seed finds a library beyond the edge of the universe that contains books with multiple possibilities of the lives n- <laughs> of the lives one could have lived. I want to know who writes these synopses because like the, the wording is awful. Oh, I, well, blame the New York Times, I guess. I do blame the New York Times. Okay. It's just so, it's very hmm, Hard to follow. Yeah. Okay, so number four, Star Wars Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell. Mm. In this installment of the High Republic series, a disaster in hyperspace may cause far greater damage hmm. than... than... Yeah. Huh. This, see what I'm saying? It is bad. You're right. You're right. right about that. This is an interesting one. Let me tell you a little background. First of all, I read Charles... Charles Sewell writes a lot of Star Wars comic books. He wrote the whole Poe po Dameron series, and it was just okay. Okay. It was just Okay. The High Republic series is set way in the past, and back when we had um, back when we had Justina Ireland on the All the Books show, she was in the process of writing her entry in the High Republic, mm-hmm. and so we talked a little bit about this, and I honestly can't remember if this was off mic or on, but she said that the process of writing these High Republic series was a lot more like a, a television writer room, where... Oh the authors all kind of know each other and all the stories are sort of meant to be cohesive and stick together. So there's a lot of like, oh no, this character wouldn't do that. Or, well, I was Mm -hmm. going to have him do this. So could you have that reflected in the thing? She said it was a much more collaborative process, a much more interesting, uh, interesting journey to get those all together and put out. So this is the first adult novel that came out, Light of the Jedi. Justina Ireland's uh, younger age book, Test of Courage, is coming out. And I got to feel like that's an Ewok reference because I know in that interview, she, like me, is a big Ewok fan. And that sounds eerily similar to A Caravan of Courage. So I don't know. but I, I don't know what that is. That's that Star Wars. Uh, it was like a TV movie about the Ewoks. Okay, listen. I have okay. to say this. Yeah. I keep hearing you talk. You've talked to several authors and like yeah. Star Warsy people. Yes. And you always end up bringing up this Ewok show. That yeah. you watched. Yes. And you always say it as if it's anything that anyone has heard of, and they have not. 
Is nobody, it true? Nobody knows about no, this. No, they do. No, it depends they don't. on the age. Do a Twitter poll. You don't think... Be- I do not think there this was, is a thing people know there about. There was droids and there was Ewoks. And I know, Ewoks because you have told me that. But I have <laughs> never heard of this. Ewoks lasted for a long time. There was a really popular comic book series that went after okay, it. Okay, well, I... So you I'm think just, you think I've been saying it and people have just been yes. politely being like, oh, the Ewoks Well, I mean, cartoon. to be fair, these are people who... They're Star Wars authors. Star Wars, yeah. But I do kind of feel that way because okay. every time I'm every time I'm listening and you're like, I watched the Ewoks thing, I'm just like, they don't know what you're talking about. Well, there was about. an Ewoks cartoon and then there were two Ewok movies. Regardless, Justina Ireland knows all about okay. the Ewoks. So, all right. But I, it's a good note and I'm going to take it to heart. Uh, so that where were we at? I, I lost track. Number four. Okay, so what's yeah, number three, Hillary? So number three is Neighbors by Danielle Steele. Oh my gosh. Who I know you love. She's a powerhouse. Powerhouse. A Hollywood, She's unstoppable. I'm going to do the synopsis Please. now. A Hollywood recluse's perspective changes when she invites her neighbors into her mansion after an earthquake. Huh. Huh. Danielle Seals really just throwing that pasta on the ceiling, seeing what <laughs> See happens, what isn't she? It usually sticks. Good so. for her. What are you going to do? Number two. The Scorpion's Tale with by... With The Rock? No. That movie with The Rock. That's the, the Scorpion King. I love that movie. That is different. I've always loved Scorpion's that movie. Scorpion's Tale is by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. I don't care about that. Uh, the second book in the Nora Kelly series, an FBI agent and an archaeologist identify a mummified corpse and its gruesome cause of death. Okay. Number one, The hey, Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. The Lives of Twin Sisters. I'm a twin sister. I know. Who run away from a southern black community at age 16, diverge as one returns and the other takes on a different racial identity, but their fates intertwine. Uh-huh. As you might expect. Yes. Yes, I would expect that. I've read this book, and it's one of our book club picks for this year. We're going to be covering this one in February. Cool. Our January book club pick was A Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. Do you remember that one? I do. I liked that one. I think you didn't. No, I liked that one a lot. That was one of my top picks what of whatever year of? that came out. Uh, I don't know. But that one was good. It, there's a movie that's coming out with Amy Adams, and I feel like that is weak casting. Yeah, it's not obvious no. casting. I don't know why they would go that direction. No, and I feel like Amy Adams also did Sharp Objects, which yeah. shares some DNA with it. So I just think it's a strange yeah, it is odd. choice, but whatever. I'll see it. Yeah, I like the book, so. Okay. Should we get into some WandaVision? Yes, we should. Okay. <laughs> No, there's only three episodes out. There's just the three still? Three episodes out as we record. Okay. So, this series, WandaVision, came out on January 15th, 2021. Meant to come out much sooner. It was meant to come out in in 2020. And I believe originally it was actually supposed to be the second of the the new, like, TV series set in the cinematic universe after Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. But all of that got pushed for... I don't remember why. Did something happen? Well, I keep thinking it's... (laughs) No, it was the pandemic. (laughs) Okay, but see, I I keep thinking that it was before that, that it got delayed. The WandaVision got delayed? Well, because I felt like it was coming. Yeah. Like, it was imminent. Yeah. And then it just kept not showing up. And then the pandemic happened, and nothing showed up. Well, maybe it's that Falcon and the Winter Soldier got delayed, which pushed WandaVision. But even, even like, early days of pandemic, they were still saying it was going to be late 2020, and it eventually got pushed to, to January 2021. Yeah. But, so this makes this really the official, uh, of the new wave of things, the first uh, Marvel what is it, the MCU? The Marvel Cinematic Universe shows. Mm-hmm. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. intersected with it and shared some characters, obviously. This is sort of the new, like, Disney Plus model of doing these shows, and this is kind of the, I don't know, the test run for that. Yeah. So it released with two episodes, which I think was brilliant, because you, I think you really needed oh, to, definitely. to get the premise. you got to settle into it. And as we record, the third episode has aired, and we're looking at a total of nine. So we're a third of the way... Mm-hmm. Through the end of this thing, I like that. It's got a, it's got like a mini series feel to yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think you'd want to go much beyond that. In fact, the CW shows, which are still running like twenty, twenty-five episodes, I'm just like why. pump the brakes. Yeah, pump the brakes. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the characters before we get into the series. Let's right? do it. So, Wanda Maximoff, mm-hmm. the Scarlet Witch, first appeared in X Men number four in nineteen sixty-four, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So not too shabby. I've read that. Have you? I have. What is that like? Uh, early. <laughs> yeah. It's like early comics. I've, I haven't read the, those, the earliest of the X-Men, so I don't really know. I've read a lot of Jack Kirby. Uh, yeah. It, and Stan Lee's really early stuff is always like super, super wordy. Is it wordy? 
Uh, I don't remember wordiness particularly, okay. but I mean, it could have been. It's right. just, I, I usually get wrapped up in the art. Okay. Do you remember, I mean, like I said, I always associate her with the X-Men. And I think it's probably because the connection with Magneto. Like, depending on what era. I think it's the connection with Magneto, and she's in she's in one of the shows. I think she's in all of them. I think she's in all of the animated series. Is she in the original? Yeah, she is. Oh, I guess we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. But I, I distinctly remember her from uh, X-Men Evolution. Well, I always think about her, you know, because her brother, Quicksilver, at various points it changes but like when i was a kid it was like they were magneto's children that was just yes. the thing well here's what i think is my trajectory of like how i connect her with things okay i think that i connect her with the x-men mm -hmm. because she did start there yeah and because of her brother yeah because pietro ends up being a villain right i always think of him as a villain as well yeah and so i guess that just kind of locks him in that universe. Yeah. And then I think of her. And she does, I mean, she does, she is connected oh, with sure. them. She's considered a mutant for a long time before yeah. they change it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she's considered Magneto's daughter for a while until they change that. Yeah, that was established like definitively in, in a 1982 miniseries, a four-issue miniseries, Vision of the Scarlet Witch, which is actually pretty solid. And I feel like... As reading that, like after we watched the first episodes of WandaVision, kind of shifted my perception about what I'd maybe feel like is happening in oh, WandaVision. Yeah? So, but, but we'll get into that. Um, do you remember what your first impression, like when was the first time you came across that character? It was just the animated series, do you think? Or, or Evolution? Well, I mean, it must have been the animated series because I, yeah. I watched that before I saw anything else. I don't remember her in it, but yeah. I must have seen it. But when I think back, yeah, I think the first thing I think is evolution. You know, when I was a kid, I would go to the comic book store with, you know, with a dollar or something and load up of random issues from, like, the quarter boxes along the bottom. And I would randomly, I would get a lot of, like, Avengers and West Coast Avengers and stuff. And she is often in there. Mm -hmm. But even so, it was always like, oh, Magneto's daughter. And I still, still felt like an yeah. X-Men to me. Yeah, we did, when I, I co-host the uh, previously on X-Men podcast, and we did a spotlight early on yeah. on Scarlet Witch mm -hmm. and we decided who we were going to do and we yeah. we told people ahead of time and everything we did yeah. the whole thing but as we were researching it and recording it we were just sort of like well this is dumb because she's just an Avenger <laughs> <laughs> but we did it anyway but I mean the House of M storyline where she, yeah, no, where I she mean, takes she's, all mutants away I yeah mean, she's definitely integral yeah. but I don't know she's not she's she's not a team member in the same way. Well, and... the other thing that really cemented her in the X-Men world for me were the old X-Men Legends, X-Men Legends 2 games. Because oh, yeah. Because she's a playable That's character true. in that. And like that, again, I was just, I was not surprised to see her there. I was just like, yeah, the Scarlet Witch, right? Yeah. Um, I always also thought of her like not necessary, like as, as kind of a quad, not a villain, but even when I've read her in Avengers stuff when I was a kid, she always kind of seemed separate. She always kind of seemed like her own thing. Well, she's erratic. That's kind yeah. of her defining characteristic. Yeah. I mean, it's part of her power, but it's also, I mean, she starts as a villain when it, in that super, super early one. She's mm -hmm. a villain for the X-Men. Yeah. And then she becomes a good guy, and then she's a bad guy, and then she's a good guy. And even when she's, she's locked in with the Avengers yeah. as like an Avenger, she's right. one of the most well-known yeah. Avengers, yeah, yeah. she still ends up like being a major problem several right. times right they they end up using her so weird they end up using her as a very kind of world-changing problem i do remember her in x-men evolution when was that that was 2000s when was that yeah was probably than... it was when i was in high school i guess so probably okay. like 2000 2002 okay i don't remember her in the original series but i know that she's in it i know that she is mm -hmm. i know that she does show up so i remember her there um, in the MCU, she is kind of a late addition. She shows up in 2014 in Captain America Winter Soldier. Yep. She and Pietro appear in that. And then she is pretty much there afterwards. She appears in that, then Avengers Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, and now, of course, WandaVision, mm -hmm. uh, played by Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. Which, I like her. I like her in the movies. She seems like I can never quite nail down what her powers are in the movies because it's always sort of this quasi in the comics it's like she's magic and that really can kind of mean whatever they want it's that's seems... exactly yeah. okay that's exactly how it goes when she's a mutant it's like she creates weird probability yeah. things but it definitely it functions even then as magic yeah I see I've always I find it interesting that 
it explained her powers. What ideally what her powers oh, would be. Oh, Nick, but you it's, can't. Okay, but it's like you probability. Magic. Right. I mean, right now, no, no, no. That's not really a thing anymore. That's it's how. Not. That's how it started when she was a mutant. Now she's basically a sorceress. Just a sorceress. She's a sorceress. She has some history where she grew up on Mount Mandalore, and there were like demons or something, wow. and she was raised by a. Sorceress. Boba. There's all kinds the of cow? Yeah, the cow. Yes. Yeah, there's she I has crazy that. history. Yeah. So like there's an element to her that's just sort of this inherent magicness. Okay. But right. she's also a trained sorceress. Okay. Okay. Well, in there's an old nineties Avengers show that didn't last very long, an animated series that I remember from the and in that she everything she says is like, I'm going to use probability magic to destroy you. And then she just like shoots a beam to yes. destroy the person. It's just like, well, didn't you just shoot a beam? And in the MCU, it seems like she can just lift things with her mind. It seems like she's yeah. just, well, I think that she's telekinesis. I, I think she's kind of undergoing a very similar transformation in the MCU as she did in like her entire okay. existence. Because when she first shows up, she and Pietro are just these like genetically modified right. yeah. kids. Yeah. And which is similar to her beginning as an as a a mutant, right? But I think like now we're watching her in Wandavision. It definitely seems to have developed into something more hmm. like perception, magicy stuff. Okay. So well, I think there's a little less internal consistency there than we usually get from the MCU. I like her. I mean, I I like her portrayal of the character, even though I'm I'm not. I never can quite trace like what's going on with her. And I've been incredibly impressed with her in WandaVision. Oh yes. But let's take a look at Vision's history. So the Vision appeared four years after the Scarlet Witch. First appeared in Avengers number 57, 1968, created by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Vision, I also have trouble because like, he's in the movies. He is he, Tony suits AI Jarvis like becomes sentient and becomes the vision mm -hmm. in the comics it's much more convoluted where it's like it's part sometimes it's like part wonder man's brain and yeah, the, well, in the original like golden age human torch's body and just all yeah. sorts of stuff happening. yeah i think there are some characters from like way early comics yeah. that have sort of a crystal clear characteristic and right. so they can just sort of like wolverine yeah you can he's just solid yeah yeah Straight through. And then there are ones like Vision and, and Wanda yeah. that morph yeah. unbelievably throughout their Yeah, they're much more time. nebulous. Yeah. Well, and Vision is usually connected in some way to Ultron. Like, that's usually a part of the origin. So the movies did kind of incorporate that. Yeah. Always. Well, what I think what I think the movies did with Vision was I think that they, they, like, they saw, you know, Vision is an Avenger. You know, right. that's an actual person. I yeah. think that they very smartly found a way to bring him in mm -hmm. just with what they had. I yeah. mean, they had Jarvis, which was basically an AI. They had this Ultron thing that was happening. Yeah. They've got Tony experimenting with robots. I mean, it just sort of like fell thought, in their yeah, lap. I think it was a really natural evolution to get to get Vision where he is. And I think Paul Bettany's portrayal of Vision uh -huh. is great in the movies and just off the charts in, in the show. Very good. I've always associated Vision with the Avengers. Unlike Scarlet yeah. Witch. Vision, to me, is always locked in as an Avenger. Definitely. And he was another one where, like, in West Coast Avengers, I would see him. But my initial interaction with him would have been Captain America the Avengers for Sega. He was one of four playable characters in that. And I rarely played as Vision, but I thought he was super cool because his shield would just make him... So he thinks, what is that word where you can pass through things? What is that word? Intangible. Okay. And so that was his shield, and I always thought that was really cool. But I didn't really know much about the Vision until, I mean, ever, I guess. Just Vision is a robot. That's That was yeah. the extent of my knowledge. I think my first experience with Vision was House of M. Oh, okay. Which was a funny place to be dropped in. I've never read that. Yeah, it's Scarlet Witch going crazy, basically. <laughs> okay. And so you start with her having her fake babies and visions there and stuff. And so, like, that was it. Okay. Like, I had no idea about their relationship. I had no idea who he was. That was just, I was like, Scarlet Witch is apparently with this robot mm -hmm. guy. Okay. And that's that was my very first oh. experience with him. Well, yes, that is a, that's a weird place to start with that character. Uh, let's see. So where did he first debut in the Avengers? Well, that's kind of a funny thing. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Paul Bettany started voicing Jarvis, Iron Man suits AI, in the very first Iron Man movie, and was just sort of there in the background the whole time in any of the Iron Man movies or Avengers. And it wasn't until Age of Ultron where things happened between Ultron and Jarvis, where Jarvis is sort of given sentience and becomes the Vision. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a really cool transition, I thought. I know. I mean, and they lucked out with the casting of Paul Bettany as that I know. Just, what if it like, had just voiceover been, yeah. role, you know? What if it had just been, like, some dude? Yeah. You know, like, it yeah. could have been anybody. What I think is really, it's like a funny little Easter egg, is that in Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man's, like, high-tech suit that Tony made has a voice in it, and it's mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly, who is married to Paul Bettany. That's funny. So, you know, that's just <laughs> kind of kind of a funny little quirk in there. So we see him as Vision first in Age of Ultron, but then he's around for Civil War and Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert on Infinity War. Spoilers! Spoilers! He dies. He get killed. And then we don't see him in Endgame. We don't see him again until WandaVision. Yeah. And so that's sort of one of the central... I mean, there's many mysteries about the show, but I think Vision's appearance in it is part of the driving mystery about like what exactly is going on here. Before we get into the show, let's talk comic books a little bit. So now you said that you read them in House of M. I know we've both read the recent series, uh, the 2015 Scarlet Witch series by um, James Robinson. And that is, uh, it's 15 issues, three volumes, which we have all in the collection. And that's really focused more on her being a magical character. Yeah, I don't think Vision shows up at all. He does. He does? Yes, he does. There, As the series goes on, like it starts, the first volume starts very standalone, where she, there's there's just, there's disorder in the magic world. Something about witchcraft is like broken. Yeah. And she's on this journey to sort of write whatever is throwing off the mojo of magic. Yeah. As that the series, thank you. Magic, thank you. That. As the series progresses, we see more of the Avengers, we see Pietro, and by the end, it feels like it's just tied in with the, the mainstream continuity. I found that I liked this series less as each volume ticked on because of that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a nice way to follow her, to have her just be on her own little mission. Yeah, I don't think you need to connect it. I really don't. Well, I think it works really well for her particularly because whenever she gets tangled up with the main storyline, she ends up killing everybody. Right, yeah. So it's nice to just have her doing her own thing. Yeah. And solving problems. Well, I think you just don't have to deal with the fact that she's a troublesome character if she's just off on her own like yeah. side quest mission. I just really think that's that's a better use of the character. I loved the aesthetics of all of the cover art in that. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? The, yeah, like, I do. Black, red, and white are the only yeah. colors you see. It's just very cool. It's really cool. The art stays like that for the first several issues, but again, as the volumes go on, it becomes more and more just like a mainstream comic. It, there's a connection with uh, Civil War Two, that big Captain Marvel, Iron Man, oh uh, yeah, rumble, mm-hmm. you know, which is just like you don't need it in a book like that. So yeah. I was kind of disappointed in that. Yeah, that was especially weird because there's so much convoluted politics going into exactly, that, which had nothing to do with the yeah. So stuff. to toss it into that series, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what you would give somebody who is a Scarlet Witch fan. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like House of M would be a good place just because it, but is it gives you all the really crazy stuff. But isn't her. she like the antagonist in that? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I guess I only think that because that's that's my main starting okay. point with like her storyline. I've never, not until very recently and only the more recent comics, but I've never read... Avengers comics, you know, like I, I know that I have, I know that I have a handful in, in my old quarter boxes that I leafed through as a kid, but it was never a series that I was particularly interested in following. I've read several, but I don't think, I think she was always somewhere else. Okay. Like I did some West Coast and I think I just, wherever I was, she was on the other coast. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's not that I think the James Robinson series is bad. I just think like... It, it starts interesting and it's just diminishing returns after that. I think if you were a fan of Scarlet Witch or Wanda that you see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you picked up the James Robinson series, you'd be like, what is what is going on? What yeah. is this all about? Well, I mentioned earlier that I go back and forth yeah. on Wanda yeah. in the MCU. It's a long game, I guess. It you is have a long game. Like once you, you get to the, once you get to WandaVision, yeah. you sort of have a feel for her character and like her relationships and stuff. Yeah. When she starts... She's barely Scarlet Witch. Like she wears well, red and has weird magic yeah. powers and that's and a twin, I guess. Yeah. But like yeah. she doesn't feel to me initially at all like Scarlet well, that's, Witch. That was kind of an interesting thing. I remember when that was happening, when like Age of Ultron was coming up in the X Men universe, which was at the time, you know, Fox owned the X Men and Marvel still had the rights yeah. to their main characters. But because of the convoluted history of the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, both companies had the rights to use the characters. Mm-hmm. And so we had that moment much like when Never Say Never Again and Octopussy came out and we had two James <laughs> Bonds, 
where Age of Ultron and and what I guess X Men First Class, yeah, were both using Quicksilver at mm-hmm. least. And it's so weird. I was like, why would you fight over those characters? It's such an, I was surprised that either one wanted to use the character, but yeah. the fact that both Well, did... it, makes, it makes sense that, I mean, Wanda just is a very integral character yeah. to the to the Avengers. Yeah. So I get that. Mm-hmm. I think Quicksilver, they just like yeah. for the X-Men. I think yeah. they just think he's fun. They, yeah. There isn't a really obvious other character I for that type. I would hate to be the guy who played Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. I know. Because in the X-Men universe, Quicksilver is just so fun and funny and has the most memorable scenes. He's the one that people will know. And I could not pick the Quicksilver from the MCU out of a lineup if he was in costume. He seems like... I couldn't do it. I can't remember if this is true or if it's just what he looks like, but he seems like the kind of person where they hired a model rather than an actor. Okay. I, it just has that feel. Well, like, just he just doesn't bring anything that, to it. Yeah, I mean, the way that branches off where the X-Men go on with Quicksilver and the Avengers yeah. go on with Scarlet Witch. You know, and now, of course, they're all under, you know, Mickey Mouse's clubhouse or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're coming to Scarlet Witch from the MCU, I, I still am kind of stumped. I don't think there's anywhere to go. There's nowhere to go. Like, if okay. you if you want the comics for yeah. that Scarlet Witch, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. Okay. And did you, I mean, were you okay with the James Robinson series? Yeah, I liked, I liked okay. it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that stands out the most is, like, the art. Okay. And I guess her kind of standalone yeah. style for a while there. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it was pretty good yeah. if you want Scarlet Witch. But, yeah, if you're looking from the movies. You're not going to find it. Yeah. Now, Vision, on the other hand, uh, I mean, there's been a couple There's been a couple of Vision and Scarlet Witch series, like, going back to the 80s. The one in 82, which I have read, um, is, is decent. That one is about them deciding they don't want to be Avengers anymore and trying to just have like a domestic life, which mm-hmm. of course doesn't work well in that vision is injured. And what you see is a manifestation of his mind trying to put things back together. Mm. And so it made me kind of wonder if maybe it's a bit of a misdirect in WandaVision and we're actually kind of seeing vision oh, side of things, but Nick. I don't know. I mean, I have interesting. I haven't seen that the or one, read that anywhere. The one thing that is really holding me up for that is the twins. Yeah, that's true. Cause that's such a big like yeah. delusion for her. Well, let's talk about that a little bit then, because in the James Robinson series, the the fact that Scarlet Witch has these twins is a bit of a a bit of a plot point where you, we hear a little bit about. Yeah, it. well, it's like after the fact. Yes, where it, it is. sort of explains what had happened. But to I them. still don't fully understand what she made. Well, it's okay. It's another one of those things that's been rewritten yeah. a couple times. Yeah. But the the overarching track for the twin thing, okay, is. She has these twins. Yes. She gives birth to them. Okay. She like experiences giving birth to okay. them. They are somehow visions, children, whatever. Okay. And everyone is always sort of like, what's the deal right. with this? And it's always just kind of fishy. Yeah. But she believes that they're real. Okay. And then it turns out they are not real. She manifested them. Oh. They don't exist. So again, her magic can just do whatever they, the moment calls for. Is yes. that correct? Okay. Yes. Well, okay. I mean, I think in this in this moment, it had come to a point where it was very perception based. Like okay. She could she could adjust reality itself. Okay. Um. So like in that way, they did exist, but they yeah. just didn't really. Okay. And then eventually, we find out that somehow she had taken pieces of a demon. To use, and this is all unconscious, I right, think, for right. her. Okay. But like, she made their souls, the souls oh, of her twins, okay. out of pieces. Of I don't a think demon. we're gonna see this in Wandavision. I don't but, think so. Okay. So anyway, that's a whole like. Right. If you know anything about Scarlet Witch, you know this weird that's thing about thing. the twins. Okay. And so that's the reason that I'm still stuck with it being a, yeah, a Wanda delusion because, I mean, as soon as they have the twins, it's just locked right yeah. in there. Well, and that's a plot point in Tom King's Vision series, which I want to talk about because when that came out, that was everywhere. I mean, it got a ton of awards. It was really well received. And the Vision series is, I want to say, 12 issues. We have it in the library set in two volumes. And it is about Vision creating a family for himself like a you know a, a like a physical family right like he makes like, robot family yes and it's just them sort of trying to be like all right i was an avenger and now i have a robot family and i'm just an average joe mm-hmm. and it's the kind of thing where it's like it, that's crazy it shouldn't work as a graphic novel yeah. and it does yeah and that's what's so impressive about it it's it the just style really there's works. something about the style yeah. that's just really really interesting and the aesthetic of that show was a major influence on the creators of wandavision yeah so, you can definitely see that. Yeah. You can definitely see that. Yeah. Because it is Vision trying to have a, an I- idealized version of 
really kind of a 1950s, 60s nuclear family. Basically, and I it's mean, got it's, kind of the surreal feel it to does. it because it's it's a lot of yeah. a lot of him in his robot self yeah. pretending or, or like trying to convince himself that this is a thing that could really work mm-hmm. and like the family who isn't really real trying to convince themselves that they are real yeah. and it's it's very kind of crazy. I feel like, you know, the only places that I was really lost in that was the parts dealing with the Scarlet Witch because I just wasn't really aware of the whole thing with the with her twins and all that. Oh. So when that when that comes into play, I was a little lost. Other than that, I feel like you have everything you need. Vision is not an Avenger anymore, but that all that stuff all happened. He's trying to just have this normal life. They give you all that in the thing. So I think if you're only familiar with the character from the movies, I think you would be okay reading that. Maybe I'm not. I'm not sure how invested you... I, I well, feel like you'd have to have a true. certain amount of investment in the character to yeah. to get into that storyline. Because yeah, I think true. a lot of it depends on him mm-hmm. and like caring about him. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if they give you that. Yeah. Or if you come in with that. Yeah, I think you kind of have to have that. I, I mean, but I think the family interactions and I think the fact... Like you see Vision struggling to try to make it all work. I think that's apparent, so... If it was just a total standalone kind of thing, not connected to the Avengers, just an original piece, I feel like there's enough in there that you might have buy-in for that character. It's possible. It's hard to say. Regardless, I'm skeptical. Okay, I still think it's a. I still think it's just a really good story. It is really, really good, and it, it's just really effective for what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think any of these things are really necessary to have read or have knowledge of before watching WandaVision. I think if you're just a fan of the MCU, mm-hmm. you're fine to just watch WandaVision. But um, why don't we why don't we get into that a little bit? So as I said, it debuted on January 15th of 2021, created by Jacques Schaefer and directed by Matt Shackman. We've seen three episodes. As we record, three yep. episodes are all that exist in the world. So where we've left the characters in the MCU, Vision dies. Or so we're yes, which I had I had just like put out of my mind. Oh. Like we watched two episodes of WandaVision and I was like, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he dead? Yeah, because uh, I mean, again, this is spoiling the, the Latter-day MCU films, but Vision was powered by an Infinity Stone. So they needed it. You know, Thanos needed it. Yeah. For the, and that's so without the Infinity Stone, no vision. Uh, Scarlet Witch makes it to the end of Endgame, mm-hmm. but you don't really kind of see the aftermath of here, and you basically jump from Endgame to WandaVision, where we're in a 1950s, like an idyllic 1950s sitcom, uh, clearly modeled on the Dick Van Dyke show, right yep. down to the set, modeled on the Dick Van Dyke show, but shades of I Love Lucy and other like contemporary shows, I think, are mixed in there a little bit, and you don't really get too much of a peek inside what's happening, why this is happening. No, in the first episode, you get, like very minor glimmers. Mm -hmm. Like, most of it is you're just dropped in and they just are these characters. She's the wife, he's the husband, that's just it. Mm -hmm. And you could almost think that what they're doing is just using the actors to do right. a funny little thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even have to be a, a whole thing. Yeah. But you do get little tiny things, which I think are a lot to do with uh, the acting. Yeah. It's just really small yeah. moments mm-hmm. where you're like, is that a break? Mm-hmm. And you can't quite tell if she's like, now she's kind of like breaking yeah. out of the illusion for a second. But in that first episode, there's oh, that's basically all you get. Yeah. So in the three episodes that have aired so far, the first is Dick Van Dyke, the second is uh, more Bewitched, Mm -hmm. and the third is kind of 70s Brady Bunch. And within those, the supporting characters all stay the same. Like, you you have the same neighbors, you have the same co-workers and stuff, but the settings change drastically. And in each episode, you get a little bit more of a peek into the fact that something is wrong. Something is happening, and it really sort of seems like Wanda is the only one who is truly aware like well but it it has it has that kind of like delusiony self uh deluding yeah. thing to it because like she's the one who breaks in the yeah. first two episodes vision yeah. doesn't break no wanda's the one who breaks and but she always seems confused yeah uh a little later she's more in denial yeah but until i think the end of the second episode maybe into the third episode you don't see her being in control of anything. Yeah. Yep. But eventually that it does kind of get there where it feels yeah. like maybe she's controlling the narrative. Yeah. So it seems to me the mystery that we're setting up is primarily 
just what's going on. Yeah. You know, who's in control of this? What is the purpose of it? What is the end game? Mm -hmm. What's the state of vision? And you just, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. And the thing that impresses me so much about it is that it is so wholly different than anything the MCU has put out. Oh yeah. It's just a completely different thing. And I mean, I'm just really impressed by that. And I'm really impressed by the acting of both Paul Bettany Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Olsen, because while nobody's doing an impression, I mean, Paul Bettany is not playing Dick Van Dyke in that first episode. They are nailing the tone of characters in those settings. Yeah. I remember the, one of the first reactions I had to the very first episode was that I would just watch that show. Agreed. I know. I felt like the same way. You, the mystery is great. And yeah. like, you definitely want to know what's going on. And the more they crack, it, it gets very interesting. But like, honestly, I would just watch the two of them. I know. Have a cute little 50s sitcom. Yeah. Just a whole season. And it's funny because when Vision is at home, even though he's like, he's dressed in whatever era they are, when it's just the two of them, he is in the full Vision guise. Yeah. And when there's other people around or he's going to work or whatever, he's just, you know normal it's just paul bettany yeah, he's got like you know, 70s hair whatever, or whatever whatever the hair is but he in the in the brady bunch episode just captures so many of these little like asides and little yeah. almost like mugging for the camera that is just so spot on mm-hmm. like robert reed in the brady bunch you know and and same with elizabeth olsen in mm-hmm. in the bewitched episode which i know the least about but i know well, elizabeth I just, montgomery and I like just... she's really yeah. hitting those little tiny well, that marks. Well, that was the really interesting thing because those first two episodes, they're both black and white. Yeah. And the changes between the first episode and the second one are much more subtle. Yeah. And so it'd be harder to see, like, that they're changing eras yeah. of TV. Like, this is, it's clear now that they're doing, like, this era, then this era, and then this era. But between those first two, it'd be harder to know. But you can yeah. just tell from her acting, not yeah. even Paul Bettany's in those first two, it's her acting yeah. that you're like, she's a Mary Tyler Moore, like, sweet, yeah. like, doing whatever her husband says right. type. And then she's a bewitched type, which is much more... Assertive. And, yeah, more yeah. assertive, and, and she's got, like, a career, like, yeah. those kinds yeah. of things. You just see that transition mm-hmm. in, in... I mean, it's in the costuming, but it's also in her, oh, yeah. at, her attitude. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the thing that amazes me is, like, these people were cast for very specific reasons that have yeah. nothing to do with what they're being asked very to do Very specific right and now. very limited. Yes. I mean, particularly Paul Bettany, yeah. but even Scarlet Witch. I mean, yeah. like, Elizabeth Olsen is... In that first movie, she's just like mystical, whatever, yeah. you know, like it doesn't have to be anything that deep. Well, what it what it, what I've heard online is that the the amount of screen time Scarlet Witch has in the MCU is dwarfed by just the first episode of this. When you see her for like, you know, 30 minutes straight, that's like the most you've seen of this character. Yeah. So, I mean, she's she's cast seven years ago. To play the Scarlet Witch in Age of Ultron, nobody was thinking like, but could she play a Mary Tyler Moore type in a spoof of a sitcom? We really need to be sure. You know, so the fact that that's what's happening now and they can do it. So well. And I really want to know who is the expert on all of these because the the tiniest little touches are yeah. just right. They're just really right. You know, and that's crazy. I read it. And, and while not yeah. being spoofy. No, they're not. Like, they're not. They're it's, so It's straight. not like, let's do it like mm-hmm. like making fun of them or yeah. anything. Like, there's nothing over the top no. about any of the portrayals. They're just dead on. No, I'm excited for the 80s, I've got to tell you. <laughs> I, read a, I read an interview um, where... It, it came out that Dick Van Dyke was actually like a consultant on the show to talk about like what made the Dick Van Dyke show work and, awesome. and how they did that show and everything. And what's so delightful about this interview is that his complete lack of knowledge of the MCU where they're explaining <laughs> like Endgame, you know, it was the biggest movie of all the time. And, and Dick Van Dyke is like, well, that's great. You know, <laughs> Good for I you. Just, it's just so like classic Dick Van Dyke. But um yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really impressive to see it happen. So I'm very excited. I mean, this is, it's old school, you know, where we're, where we're waiting every week to get the next episode out mm-hmm. to see what's going to happen. But, um... I don't I, like the waiting. No, I don't either. I don't either. And I was very disappointed when week two was just one episode because I wanted a bigger bite of the apple story-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because you really, the, the quotient of, like, how much is sitcom spoof and how much is actually, like, what's going on is, like, you know, maybe... 20, 25 minutes of sitcom and maybe five minutes of plot, you yeah. know? Um, and it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's playing out nicely, but I just want more, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. As a Scarlet Witch fan, are you seeing a little bit more of the kind of Scarlet Witch that you want to see or, or is it not feel like that to you? Well, I mean, it, that's kind of a hard question to 
answer because she's not being herself right. at all. Yeah. But I guess when you see the little... The, the way that the mystery is playing out feels mm-hmm. right to me yeah. because there's so much of that, like, what is reality yep. stuff going on. So I think I think it does feel... That feels more authentically Scarlet Witch to me yeah. than just her waving her hands yeah. and making things happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm all in. I love it. Me too. I'd watch it for... Ever. And I... I mean, I've always been excited about it just from still images, but I never watched the trailer or anything. So I was pretty surprised that the first episode really was just yeah. as straight as it was. Yeah, and I think I saw like really posters and stuff exactly. that sort of indicated that this was going to be yeah. an element. I knew that was the vibe, but I, 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 I still was surprised yeah. with, with what I got, so... I think it's definitely worth the watch. Like I said, we, we've got you covered as far as uh, Avengers and Vision and Scarlet Witch, things in the collection. Uh, lots in the graphic novel collection, including the three-volume Scarlet Witch series, the two-volume Vision series, all of the DVDs for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and whenever they decide to put WandaVision on DVD when it comes out, we'll have that too. Is that a thing anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess, well, I mean, the the, uh, the Marvel Netflix shows are out on DVD. Okay. But it took a while. Yeah. You know, so it really, it, it kind of depends whether they do that anymore. Yeah. But our physical media is still very popular. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they put it out, we'll definitely have it. Yeah. So two thumbs up for me so far. Yeah, me too. And I feel like it's kind of nice when you consider how old the Marvel Cinematic Universe is and how many movies it encompasses. Nick, it's so old. I know that. And, like, they've really put in the time to be able to do this kind of storytelling. Yeah, they you laid know? the groundwork. I mean, you, when you get, by the time you get to Infinity War and Endgame and you just have, like, 30 A-list actors, like, mm-hmm. fighting on the same shot, uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. The fact that you can build up to that point and then do this where you do an offshoot that's completely different, but you have, like, the audience trust yep. to be like, just wait it out nine episodes. Yeah. It'll be worth it. And, and they'll pe- do it. Yeah, and people are like, okay. Yeah. You know, I just think that's, I think that's really cool. This is the kind of thing so. they would have put on ABC and would have been canceled after two episodes. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm excited about Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm really excited which, about that. Which, you know... I, I was not excited about agreed. that. When was it? There's some movie where it's the two of them in Civil a car. Civil War. It's Civil, it's Civil War. Civil War. There's the yeah. two of them, and they're just in a car waiting for someone. Yeah. And they, like, get bickering. Yeah, they don't like each other. That's, yes. That's my favorite. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm watching that I know. show. I felt, yeah, when that was announced, I was like, well, that seems like kind of a watered-down Captain America show, you yeah. know? Yeah. But yeah, when we rewatched Civil War and just saw the bad attitude they had with each other, I, I was it. I was all in. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited about that. So we'll keep an eye out for that. I don't think a I don't think a real date has been announced for that yet. It might. It might. So I mean you're the one who have told me, so I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, Hillary, where can people find your podcast if they want to look for it? I mean anywhere you get podcasts. We're okay. on Twitter at previously on X. Yep. It's a pretty good place to find us, but okay. if you just Search for previously on X Men podcast. Right. You probably find us. Yep, radiomeanwhile.com. and over there on Twitter. What do you guys have next up? Do you know? Coming out is the uh, spotlight on the Sentinels. The Sentinels. The Sentinels. Yeah. Usually we do character spotlights. Sometimes we do like a spotlight on a, a like series. Like a concept. Like or a, okay. Like yeah. a you know. Like a comic book. Run. Like a comic book run. Mm-hmm. This time we did the Sentinels. Okay. If you like the Sentinels, you'll you'll have a good time. If you don't, you'll enjoy my snark. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Well, next on How's Things, we're going to have Melanie Miller from the Alfred Box of Books on. The Alfred Box of Books is starting their own library podcast, so we're going to team up and chat about new books. So join us then. In the coming weeks, Malik's going to be here to talk about On the Come Up, and then I have a special interview with sci-fi author Steve Barnes. So tune in for any and all of that. Hillary, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. All right. We'll see you next time.